You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. This episode is very special. We have on a return guest to The Model Health Show, someone who's an absolute expert on brain health, multiple-time New York Times bestselling author, and his last book was a phenomenal. All right, began to change the conversation out there when we're talking about health and wellness, specifically of our brains. And it's none other than Dr. David Perlmutter. And he's got an updated, revised, expanded edition of Grain Brain, which I got an early copy of. And I was going back and forth looking at the old edition, new edition, old edition, new edition. And the new edition takes out Bobby Brown, but it adds in Johnny Gill. And it's okay. All right. So follow me. Follow me on that. But you know, it's truly enlightening and to see the updated information to reaffirm what we've been talking about, you know, because there's this conversation now, a lot of people are afraid of gluten. A lot of people are like, what is there to be afraid of? It's not a big deal. We've been eating bread forever. I don't have celiac, right? Celiac. And so my concern is we do know that celiac disease is something that is just crushing people's livelihoods. And it's from gluten. It's from bread, right? And, and other gluten-containing uh, grains. Just keep this in mind that bread can actually hurt people. That's to just stop us in our tracks and just think about that a little bit. Like, wow, it can destroy somebody's gastrointestinal well-being and cause issues with mental health and autoimmunity. It is something. It is possible. Then we extend it out and say, well, that's not everybody. Well, just to know that this is a potential problem should just open our minds to consider that, man, maybe this is uh, relating to the skin issues that I have or the issues that I have with my focus or the migraine headaches. And the list goes on and on. There's so many different things that are now being linked to the consumption of this conventional wheat because also we've talked about this in the past. And by the way, I'm not, I had French toast like a couple of days ago. I'm not completely against anything, right? But I am going to have a tendency towards you know, 90 plus percent of my nutrition being things that are whole, real, natural foods that have been around, been around a long time that have nothing but potential upside and none of these things that are kind of lurking in the darkness in a sense. And so uh, even I, I was just watching uh, Lord of the Rings. All right, I went through, we watched the trilogy again, you know, we kind of waited a little while. And, um, you know, we, we hit the, the, two, the two towers, but first course fellowship. So we're getting a little nerded out right now, but that's what this episode's going to be, all right? It's going to be nerded out, all right? So be ready when Dr. Perlmutter comes on. And then, of course, the return of the king. And seeing Sam, Samwise Gamgee, right? And Frodo, they're trying to get the ring into Mordor, right? And they, they, all they got is this elven bread. They've got the elf, the elf or elfish bread. I don't know if you speak elvish, but they do, okay? Bella, that means friend, I think. All right. Okay. This is getting, I'm really back in a little bit on the nerd. So they had the bread is wrapped up in like a, it looked like a collard green to be honest, but, and they were just, they were kind of pissed. Like, this is all we got is the bread. I was like, man, that bread looks kind of good. All right. All right. So we all have that connection and it's just keeping this thing in a proper perspective that, okay, just be aware if you're dealing with a health condition, this might be something that is potentially uh, causing us harm. And the wheat that we have today is very different from the biblical sense or, you know, ancient 
ancient scriptures talking about, you know, the, the, uh, the process of, of creating bread and the health that might have been seen uh, back in the day. It's very different. We have this genetically modified dwarf wheat that is what we're commonly consuming. So even if you're like on the bread train heavy, like shift over, let's get some uh, more ancient, quote, ancient grains, right? Some heirloom strands of these things, or maybe even shift over and try a different uh, type of grain besides wheat. There are other grains that don't even contain gluten, you know? So again, this is just something for us to get educated, to have a conversation about, to make sure that we have this in our mental Rolodex. And the reason that I think it's such an important conversation is that our brains are at stake here. And Dr. Perlmutter has some compelling research that we need to pay attention to because uh, it's time. It's time for a change, not just in our bodies and our physical health and talking about issues with you know, diabetes and obesity and things of that nature, but also in uh, neurodegenerative conditions like dementia and Alzheimer's that are just skyrocketing right now, which we'll talk about in a little bit as well. So this one is one you want to take notes. All right, you want to get the your pen and, and paper ready? I don't know if people write anymore. Have you had this experience where, you know, I know you haven't written for a while and then you try and write something, it's been months, and you just realize, man, like, I can't even write, right? It hurts. My wife just the other day, she's writing stuff. She's like, this hurts? I was like, that's a, that's a problem, right? But it's the typey-typey, you know? But so if you even if you're typing your notes, this is one you're going to want to really listen to because, again, we're going to get geeked out. All right. And I love that. I love that to have some of those shows where we're really diving in and talking about some of the science. And uh, so, again, this is one to really tune in, listen close, take some good notes, and you can utilize this data for yourself and also the people that you care about. All right. So we're going to get to that in just a moment. But in the conversation talking about our brain health and also specifically uh, protection from these neurodegenerative diseases, you got to listen to this. It was a randomized double-blind, placebo-controlled study. This is the gold standard, all right? And it's a human study. This was done on humans. This wasn't laboratory animals. This was done with humans. Randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled study. This was published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. Found that raising brain magnesium levels has been proven to restore critical brain plasticity and to improve cognitive function overall. Magnesium. Magnesium. It's a landmark study. Again, this is a human study. And researchers showed that they could reverse brain aging by as much as 9 to 14 years on average in folks who were taking supplemental magnesium. That is remarkable, truly remarkable. I've talked about this many times in the show. This is the number one mineral deficiency that we see in our country today. And we're looking at about 70 plus percent of folks being chronically deficient in magnesium. Guess what's happening to their brain? And the reason that I'm talking about this specifically in relationship to the brain is that magnesium is responsible for, I said this before, please listen, over 325 biochemical processes in the body. And so if it's not present, you're deficient in magnesium. Guess what? That's 325 things that your body and your brain cannot do. But what's so amazing about our bodies, they are resilient. They will figure out ways, kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul within your own tissues to figure stuff out, but that puts us at a net loss, right? The struggles, uh, create struggles with our energy, with our ability to uh, properly move. For example, uh, magnesium has a huge impact on our muscle, muscle function. And guess what the most important muscle that you have is, is that beautiful brain of yours, right? And it is in critical need of magnesium as well. And so here's the issue. 
Number one, food first, eat magnesium-rich foods. Not enough today because magnesium is such a anti-stress related minerals, dealing with a lot of stressors and inflammation in the body. Today, we just, even if you're eating a great diet and exercising, the environment itself is very stressful. You know, we're exposed to so much that our ancestors were not exposed to. And magnesium gets zapped from our bodies very quickly. So we gotta get those levels up. In my clinical practice, I would have people take a supplemental, uh, oral supplement of magnesium for the most part early in my career, but then it evolved because I saw, you know, people would come in like, hey, Sean, I started taking, you know, I'm feeling better, I'm not having the headache or whatever, but when I take the magnesium, I go poop a lot. I go poop a lot, all right? And it's causing diarrhea because magnesium is pulling more water to your bowels, all right? And it can create an evacuate, evacuation, all right? It's called bowel tolerance. And we can't efficiently get your magnesium levels up because your body will have this evacuation process and you might even need more magnesium now because you're having diarrhea, all right? It's not efficient, it's not effective. What is effective is a topical application of magnesium. All right, so this is magnesium that you rub onto your skin. It's just like, why would that get to my, where it needs to go in my body? How does it get to my brain? Your skin eats, all right? This is why there are so many hormone creams today. It's not taking oral um, medications, rub it into your skin. Your skin eats, and magnesium is very bioavailable through the skin when it's done properly, super critical extract like the one that I use, I've been using for many years. Not only does it help improve your sleep quality, not only does it help improve your energy throughout the day, help to uh, speed up recovery. Man, I can't tell you how many times, you know, just having sore muscles and things like that, that healing has been improved. You know, you've heard this before, taking an Epsom salt bath. That's just one form of magnesium, right? There's like citrate, there's stearate. There's so many different forms that we have of magnesium, but this one, supercritical extract, and it's from earth-grown sources. It's not synthetic. It's about 99% absorbable, and it's from activation products. Ease Magnesium, E-A-S-E. -E. Go to easemagnesium.com forward slash model. Again, that's easemagnesium.com, E-A-S-E, magnesium.com forward slash model. You're gonna get 15% off of the activation products magnesium spray, and also they have a deep soak. There's some information there on the page too that I add to my bath water, and I try to do that at least once every couple of weeks, and it is just the best, right? So your brain is depending on magnesium. This is the efficient, effective way. You're gonna hear more and more about this as the months and years roll on about topical applications of magnesium specifically for all the benefits that it has, all right? So pop over, check them out, easemagnesium.com forward slash model. And on that note, let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled A Constant Source of Encouragement to Thrive by IBC99. Sean, been listening to you for years, but the recent episode on anxiety is the one that finally got me to review. It was by far the most accurate take on it I've heard. At 30, I was blindsided by panic attacks, and for a period, it derailed me. I was an easygoing and confident person that suddenly was constantly worried about a heart attack, health issue, death, whatever. I only began to have relief when I quit trying to make it go away, and I embraced it. I made a friend of my anxiety and used it as a tool to help me appreciate everything. Good, bad, whatever. It's all a teacher. 
by far the most real talk on anxiety ever. Thanks for your show. It helps me stay dialed in and motivates me to do my best in all things. Sincerely, I appreciate you. Wow, thank you so much for leaving me that review over on Apple Podcasts. And that's such a great share. And wow, I just really appreciate that. Thank you for sharing a little bit of your story. And um, they're referencing the episode that we did with Craig Ballantyne recently, which we'll put in the show notes. And is just speaking out something that a lot of people have uh, suffering quietly, you know, with themselves because we're not having this conversation and talking about these things. So we talked about some of the uh, nutrition components, but also just the lifestyle and mindset components that are involved in the epidemic going on with anxiety. And so, again, thank you for sharing a little bit of your story. So, everybody, if you've yet to leave a review, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and do so. You see, even this incredible review is waiting. What are you waiting for? If you've gotten some value out of the show, pop over, leave a review. I appreciate it so very much. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is Dr. David Perlmutter, and he is a board-certified neurologist and four-time New York Times bestselling author. He serves on the board of directors and is a fellow of the American College of Nutrition. Very, very powerful combination of backgrounds there. He received his MD degree from the University of Miami School of Medicine, and he was also awarded the Leonard G. Roundtree Research Award while he was there. And he also is a member of the editorial board for the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease, which I just quoted that study about magnesium from there that was published through there. And it's published extensively in peer-reviewed scientific journals, including the Archives of Neurology, Neurosurgery, and the Journal of Applied Nutrition. His books have been published in 34 languages and include the number one New York Times bestseller, Grain Brain, The Surprising Truth About Wheat, Carbs, and Sugar, with over 1 million copies in print. And he is back on the Model Health Show. And I'd like to welcome Dr. David Perlmutter. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing great. And you should, you got to tell your viewers that this is our second go around. <laughs> so it's great. We get to do it again. This <laughs> is the truth. You know, like people think it's all... It's all downhill once you, you know, get the top podcast, but stuff happens. All right. So last time you're recording, I guess it just disappeared into the ethers uh, on your end. So I'm going to point fingers, but then I'll point it back at us too. And, uh, but we get to do it over again and get to have Absolutely. fun again. So um, I'm just so excited because uh, when we put this out, your book, the new revised edition is out and available already number one, which is huge for a revised edition of a book that was already a massive success. So how are you feeling right now? I'm feeling great. I mean, so we wrote Grain Brain. Uh, here's the new book, by the way. I'll show you, that's it. And yeah. we wrote Grain Brain five years ago. And uh, no doubt it was uh, very disruptive. I mean, we were telling people, hey, matter of fact, eating sugar and gluten and not exercising and not paying attention to the quality of your sleep has a huge effect on your brain. And did we ruffle feathers? You bet we did. Was there a lot of pushback in media? Absolutely there was. And so, uh, but nonetheless, that book worked. We got that book, um, you know, out to a lot of places. It's now published in 34 languages around the world. And I've, over the past five years, had the great opportunity to, to lecture in Moscow and New Zealand and uh, you name it, all around the world. And now here we are five years later, writing a book that's based on what has the science told us then about these ideas over the past five years. And you know and I know that there's been an explosion of interest in a ketogenic diet, for example, yeah. lower carbs, 
uh, eating more healthful fat. Even the U.S. Government Dietary Advisory Committee said, hey, problem isn't the dietary fat for your heart and your brain, it's the sugar. And I keep saying, well, gosh, who knew that? Right. But uh, it's good to be able to write this book and now visit data from 2017, 2018, uh, that really says, you know, we can make a huge difference in the destiny of our brains. And what is really interesting, Sean, is that just uh, last month, uh, now two months ago, uh, in the Journal of the American Medical Association, published online, was a study by Dr. Richard Kennedy that was what we call a meta-analysis, means that he looked at 10 different studies to try to determine how effective are our Alzheimer's drugs. These are drugs that are prescriptions given to mom or dad or whomever when they have Alzheimer's uh, to the tune of close to a billion dollars of revenue for the drug makers each year. And what Dr. Kennedy discovered and published again in the Journal of the American Medical Association was not that these drugs don't work, but worse than that. These drugs are associated with more rapid decline mm. in brain function. Think of it. It's like giving a diabetes pill to somebody and it makes their blood sugar go up. So uh, I'm glad to be on your program and being able to talk about this because I think this should have been on the evening news and yeah. the front page of the New York Times that these drugs given to people, they put their faith in the pharmaceutical industry are actually worsening the cognitive function of mom or dad. And, you know, I say that because yeah. I, I went through this with my, with my father. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is what we choose to do, you know, the, the types of things you talk about on your program in terms of exercise, cutting our carbs, eating more good fat, getting good sleep, and really engaging in, in good relationships with other people, all of these things go a long way to protecting and even enhancing the brain upon which we really, really depend. Yeah, man, that is so sobering to hear something like that because I just think we've been really barking up the wrong tree for a long time. And you're the first version, and by the way, in the intro I talked about, I was going from the first to the new one back and forth and just looking at the new data, which we're gonna talk about today. And it's so fascinating to see there's so much evidence. And also, of course, you've seen this in your own practice that working with lifestyle changes like this can largely help to prevent and even uh, support our brains after some damage has been done. And that's such, it's such a good piece of news to talk about. And so I wanna talk about some of those mechanisms behind the scene going on there, of course, but can we just start off like, what's, what are a couple of the new revelations that you've come across since writing this new revised edition? Uh, I, I think the, the biggest uh, discovery has been the absolute pivotal role that inflammation is playing here. Uh, you know, we've understood over years, and it was in the original version and now certainly amplified in the revised edition, that uh, higher levels of inflammation chemicals in the body, we call them cytokines, are associated with worse brain destiny, worse brain function. And now, though we didn't understand it before, now we know why. Because now we see the data that connects higher levels of inflammation with higher levels of the action of damaging chemicals called free radicals. So we're uh, with higher levels of inflammation, we kill off brain cells, worse than alcohol. I mean, it's a big deal what inflammation does in the brain. And let's roll it back a little bit to where's this inflammation coming from? Mm -hmm. By and large, the inflammation is coming from higher levels of blood sugar. 
As your blood sugar rises, you change proteins in your body, you amplify immune reactions, and you have higher levels of inflammation. Why is that important? It's important because you control your blood sugar, oddly enough, based upon what you eat. Eat sugar, your blood sugar is going to go up. No mystery there. Uh, the other thing that was really a, a bit of a revelation over the past five years, and I actually wrote another book about it uh, in the interim, is this incredible role of the gut and the gut bacteria in terms of controlling the set point of inflammation in the human body. So that when we disturb our gut bacteria, ultimately we enhance inflammation. And again, that is the cornerstone mechanism that makes a good brain go bad. Mm. Beyond that, we now know that inflammation, again, from diet, from changes in the gut bacteria, is strongly related to things like coronary artery disease, diabetes, and even cancer. So the take home message here is everything we do from a therapeutic perspective and looking at how we conduct ourselves day to day should be targeted at reducing this mechanism of inflammation. When we don't sleep enough, inflammation is increased. When we experience a lot of stress, we increase inflammation. When we gain body fat, especially around the middle, we amplify inflammation. When we eat sh uh, foods that are high in carbs, we get fatter and we increase inflammation. And what we now know moving forward for our next book, incredibly, is that higher levels of inflammation inhibit the way we can connect to our higher brain areas that allow us to be empathetic and compassionate and planning for the future and locks us in when we have high levels of inflammation, locks us into more primitive brain uh, areas that are involved in things like being narcissistic, uh, self-centered, uh, wanting immediate reward and being impulsive. So, you know, in the grand scale, we see that this westernization of the global diet, which is more inflammatory, is changing how the brain works on the planetary level. Mm. So we got to call it out. And, uh, you know, thanks to guys like you, uh, we get these opportunities to be on these kind of programs and give us out, give us information out and hope that people can leverage some of what we talk about. You know, no one's going to go or hardly anyone's going to go all in and do everything we talk about. But even cutting your carbs is a big step forward. Yeah, it's all about exposure, you know, and I'm so grateful for that because, you know, this is a big part of my work is looking at, this is something we don't usually think about. Food impacts how we relate to each other. It impacts how we relate to ourselves and our experience of reality. One of the things that you talk about in the book, and there's even more information on it, is this inflammation, gluten, and even depression connection Right. So and this is just an absolute epidemic. Can we talk a little bit about that? Well, let me first uh, recapitulate what you just said, because I, I don't want it to be lost that food influence. These are your words. Food influences how we can relate to each other. Think about that, that uh, when we're on a diet that's nurturing our microbiome, that's nurturing our bodies, clearly we're in a situation uh, metabolically to have better relationships with others. That's what the research tells us. And that was a, that's a profound statement. We, we've got to you know, understand that. We understand clearly that depression is an inflammatory condition. Higher levels of these inflammatory chemicals correlate to the changes in the brain that relate to depression. For example, from a mechanistic perspective, 
we know that inflammation reduces our body's ability to make the happy chemical serotonin. We know that higher levels of inflammation antagonize the receptors in the brain where serotonin can do what it's supposed to do. In other words, keep us happy. So you bet what you said is quite true that higher levels of inflammation brought on by eating crap, if I may, that's not a very scientific term, uh, but people know what that means, uh, really relates to things like depression, seeing the world um, not through rose-colored glasses, but seeing the world as a threatening place. And uh, I really hope that as we move forward through the next few years, we can bring information to the table, literally, that'll help people see a brighter future. And I really think that's where we're going. You know, as it relates to gluten, five years ago, we were talking about how gluten can relate to brain issues, ADHD, autism, uh, cognitive dysfunction, even movement disorders. And, uh, you know, people heard that. And while we were simply quoting research uh, from uh, much of the research being done by Dr. Marius Hajivasalu in, in England, uh, still the notion that gluten in the diet could have these effects, I think, was looked upon as being really out there. And that Dr. Perlmutter was really an outlier on this one. Mm. We talked about this idea of non-celiac gluten sensitivity, meaning that you can be sensitive to gluten and not have celiac disease. And what does that do if you embrace that? It means that we move away from the 1.4% of our population who has celiac disease and should stay away from gluten to a much bigger percentage. And since Grain Brain was first published, in fact, in 19, uh, rather 2017, in other words, uh, just uh, a couple of, uh, well, last year, plus a month, uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association published research from researchers at Harvard saying that non-celiac gluten sensitivity is in fact very, very real, uh, quoting researchers like Dr. Alessio Fasano, for example, saying that you can be sensitive to gluten and not even have a gastrointestinal issue. It can affect your skin, your joints, and yes, even your brain. So, you know, that's a degree of validation that we were hoping for, that we are, have gotten and we continue to get in terms of being supportive of the ideas that we should reduce gluten, we should lower our sugar consumption, and we should welcome good fats back to the table. The other thing that we've really amplified this time around is the critical importance of dietary fiber. You know, it always goes uh, undiscussed. You know, people say, well, Maybe if I had more fiber in my diet, I might not be so constipated. I'll take some, some fiber. Well, it's much more important than that. It's important because prebiotic fiber, a specific type of fiber, doesn't provide you any carb calories. It is carbohydrate, but it nurtures the gut bacteria that we just talked about. Why is that important? Well, it's important because they play the pivotal role in regulating inflammation. So this choice to eat more dietary fiber really opens the door to reducing inflammation that has huge impact on the major causes of death uh, on the globe at this time, according to the World Health Organization. They told us that the number one cause of death on planet Earth are the chronic degenerative conditions. That means inflammation. So yeah, there's infectious disease, there's war, there's trauma, all of those things. The number one cause of death right now 
Sean, as you and I have this conversation, is inflammation, basically. And we can reduce it when we make the right lifestyle choices. That's, again, what we've tried to really uh, get out there with this new uh, version of Grain Brain. Yeah, man. And it's done so well. And, um, you know, something that's really fascinating is that, like you said, this information is becoming much more pervasive, much more um, easy to to access today. But there's still a lot of work to be done. There's still a lot of people that have no idea about this and the connection between our gut and our brain. And is it, and I, you just mentioned a couple of researchers, was it 100% of folks tested had the uh, zonulin uh, secretion when they were consuming gluten? Can you talk a little bit about That's that? Right. That's right. Uh, That's It was published in the journal um, Nutrients in 2015, again by Dr. Fasano's team at Harvard. So consumption of gluten, and specifically part of it that they studied called gliadin, which makes up gluten, does activate this mechanism through zonulin, you're, you're correct, that increases the leakiness or permeability of the gut, and that's a central player in the inflammation cascade. So you're right. Uh, did I know that in uh, when we published Grain Brain? I didn't know it. We were suspicious, but now that's yeah. the information that has come out and is very supportive of the idea of, of reducing the gluten in your diet. So again, uh, you know, you mentioned a point that I don't want to go over uh, and just pass by, and that is that so many people don't know this information. You know, many Americans, most Americans, uh, really live by the notion of, you know, live my life come what may, and there'll be a pill to fix this or that. We have no pill to help your brain if you are diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And new literature shows that we sow the seeds for brain degeneration in our 30s, in our 20s. And uh, that's, that's really very powerful. When we look at um, studies, uh, there's a study that was published in the journal Neurology, one of our most respected neurology journals in 2017. And this is a study that looked at markers of inflammation like we've been talking about and looked at a group of people many, many years ago, followed them for 24 years. And what they found after 24 years with those individuals who at the beginning of the study 24 years ago had the highest level of inflammation in terms of their blood markers had a dramatic increased risk of shrinkage of the brain, and as you looked at them today, poorer memory function when they were evaluated. And one other recent, more recent study, uh, no, actually I think it was published in 2008 in the journal Neurology, sorry, uh, followed a group of people for 36 years and found that at the very beginning of the study, they, what they did was one very, uh, very exciting examination. They measured the size of their belly. That's it. They measured how big is your belly. They followed this group of people for 36 years and what did they find? They found that those people who 36 years ago had the biggest bellies in the highest quarter or quartile of the biggest bellies had close to a three-fold increased risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. Now, this means that having a big belly in your 20s and 30s becomes a powerful risk factor for when you get to be in your 60s and in your 70s. And, and that said, uh, you know, it emphasizes to your demographic, you know, your younger uh, individuals who are wanting to know this stuff because, hey, you're going to be my age one of these days. And hopefully uh, I'm making a lot of sense. So my brain's still working okay. 
and hopefully you're going to have put yourself in a position where you are resistant to the disease that killed my father, meaning that I have a, an increased risk of having that disease by virtue of my family history. So the message for brain health is a message that needs to get out to your demographic, to the people, you know, the millennials, for example, who can make changes today. You can't say, well, I'm going to be overweight and eat all this junk today. Then, you know, when it starts to matter in my 50s and 60s, then I'll start to take it to heart, quite literally. That's a great pun because it, it affects your heart. Uh, and then make these changes because, no, these are cumulative. And uh, we real, as I mentioned, we sow the seeds for brain degeneration very early in life. Yeah, man, that is so powerful. So everybody, your brain health that you're going to experience in your later years, in your senior years, starts today. Started really years ago, but when you know better, you do better. And now's the opportunity to really do something about this. And I want to talk about a couple of things that were highlighted uh, in your book. And again, guys, get the revised edition. It is like absolute mastery. It's everything you need to know on the subject updated with, we're talking like the most recent data is in here. So it's just really a great masterclass on the subject matter. And so what I want to talk about is the upside, the good potential here in neuroplasticity you talk about. And also specifically, I want to talk about BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor. So we can do something about this. We can prevent problems later, but also we can support some positive change right now. So let's talk about neuroplasticity and BDNF. So we're in a place of um, discovery and, uh, and having discovered some things in the past couple of decades. Uh, the idea that, for example, we have a second chance and can grow new brain cells uh, it, I, I would have probably been thrown out of medical school had I voiced that idea. I didn't have the idea back then, though I was starting to think about it, I have to say. Um, that, uh, and the other idea is that our gene expression can be changed uh, under our volition. We have the ability to change our gene expression, and these two things come together like a Reese's peanut butter cup with chocolate and peanut butter, meaning that, yes, we can change our gene expression and we can change our gene expression to turn on the growth of new brain cells. So both of those ideas were uh, very much iconoclastic for uh, we as clinicians and researchers not that long ago. Meaning we get a second chance. Uh, Dr. Erickson at the University of Pittsburgh, uh, Dr. Kirk Erickson began to really make us aware uh, about eight to 10 years ago of how powerfully we can affect this type of change in gene expression and bring about dramatic growth of new brain cells exactly where we need them yeah. in the brain's memory center. Who knew? We've known for quite some time that people who exercise have a lower risk of Alzheimer's disease. More exercise, less Alzheimer's disease. Well, those are dots that are kind of far apart and we wanted to fill in the middle parts. Okay, why is it so? What is the mechanism that relates getting on the treadmill to improving my brain? And Dr. Kirk Erickson, University of Pittsburgh, really helped us understand that because he showed that in a group of individuals who exercised aerobically for one year, in comparison to a similar size group of uh, individuals in their 60s, you know, not young people, well, yeah, I guess I should say young, I'm 64, um, who just did stretching but nothing aerobic over the one-year period of time, many things happened. First, 
they produced more of this chemical that you mentioned, BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is uh, like growth hormone for brain cells. Mm. So it turns on the growth of brand new brain cells. We call that neurogenesis. I love the sound of that word. And where it happens is in the brain's memory center. And what he also showed after the one year, showed three things. Number one, exercisers had higher levels of BDNF. Number two, on MRI scans, exercisers had bigger memory center. And number three, on neuropsychological testing, exercisers had better memory. Man, oh man, why would you not do that? You do have to buy something, and here's the pitch. The people need to know they gotta buy something. You gotta buy a new pair of sneakers. <laughs> That's it, you gotta get out and you have to pound the pavement or swim in your pool, in which case, don't wear your sneakers. Get on a treadmill, do a pre, uh, elliptical machine, whatever you have to do to get your heart rate up for 20 minutes a day. That's, that's all I'm, it's not all I'm asking, but that's a big player here. What did he show? Those people who exercise become more resistant to developing Alzheimer's disease, dare I say again, a disease for which there is no treatment. Now, his research was followed up by a study in the Journal of the American Medical Association that correlated higher levels of BDNF with lower risk for Alzheimer's in a perfect linear relationship. So to focus on BDNF for a moment, you gotta do everything you can to have higher levels of BDNF. The most powerful thing you can do is exercise, but the herb turmeric, for example, is a powerful upregulator of BDNF. Whole coffee fruit concentrate, now in the health food store, turns on BDNF. Uh, we know that um, CBD, we're hearing so much about CBD these days, a, the non-psychoactive extract of marijuana uh, uh, turns on BDNF as well. What that means in the long run, we don't know. But at the very least, we want to exercise we know, and this is a very important bullet point, that inflammation reduces BDNF formation. So inflammation works against your ability to grow new brain cells. It's probably why being a type two diabetic, higher blood sugar, higher inflammation, is associated with as much as a fourfold increased risk for Alzheimer's disease. By and large, type two diabetes is a lifestyle choice. It's a manifestation of a diet that is higher in sugar or a diet that has no sugar in it at all, but a diet that's higher in artificial sweeteners. Now that sounds ironic, doesn't it? But what the research is showing us, uh, most of it coming from France is that and Israel, uh, a diet higher in artificial sweeteners dramatically increases risk for diabetes with all these people having mild elevations of their blood sugar, suddenly drinking diet soft drinks, thinking they're doing the right thing, they've got to know that's the absolute worst thing that they can do. Diet drinks make you fat and increase the risk of diabetes. That's insane. You know, it's just the marketing is, is so good with these diet sodas and things like that and understanding that this is... And, and, you know, if we really just kind of step back and, and take a meta perspective about this stuff, it's soda. Like, we know that. And now we have more data showing that these things are, in fact, hurting our brains. And just to take a step back, uh, you mentioned BDNF being like a uh, growth factor for our brains. And I've even heard you say it's kind of like miracle growth for our brains. 
Low levels of BDNF have been heavily linked with dementia. We know this already. And this is what I want to talk about is there's a study conducted at the University of California, Los Angeles, published in the journal Neuroscience, found that a diet high in added sugar reduces the production of BDNF. All right. So it's if we exercise, we can make more of this. And he just said, just, you know, buying some sneakers, the only thing you got to buy to get this benefit. However, on the other side, a diet that's high in sugar and starch, gluten-containing grains, this can be one of the things that really helps or not helps prevents this beautiful action to take place. So true. I mean, let, let's, you know, I'll ask you, why do you suppose a, high, a diet high in sugar is related to decreased BDNF? It's obviously inflammation. Absolutely. Anything that increases inflammation will antagonize uh, BDNF. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned before, it will antagonize serotonin. Therefore, a diet high in sugar, as the data shows, is associated with a higher risk for dementia and depression as well. Guess what? Depression is characterized by lower levels of BDNF. That shouldn't come as a big surprise. And in fact, though I don't want to say it, but I'll say it anyway, many of the antidepressant drugs, the SSRI antidepressant drugs, actually increase BDNF. So how they work for depression may have very little to do with how they increase the activity of serotonin, may have more to do with BDNF. Interesting. Very interesting. So I want to talk a little bit more about these artificial sweeteners because that's the thing, you know, even today there are, uh, it's a big boom in artificial sweeteners and also concentrations of natural sweeteners as well. And I just want to be mindful of the use of those things. So we're going to talk about that right after this quick break. So sit tight. We'll be right back. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I was obsessed with juice. All right, I'm talking about the juice boxes. Capri Suns? You remember when Capri Suns came out? The complication of getting that straw into that little plastic bag and shooting it all over oneself as a child? Everybody had to experience it. But the Capri Sun was delicious. All right, it went from there to, you know, getting a little bit more fancy and having, quote, tropical punch. Became a big fan of, like, Hawaiian punch. And that was my thing. I wasn't a big fan of sodas. I was getting the juice. But here's the thing. It wasn't really juice, all right? If you would read the package, it would literally say 0% juice in the juice. It was trickery, trickery. And here's the thing, how can they create these flavors? Uh, there's this incredible technology. We have a gas chromatograph that you can synthesize and, and extract and find those flavors and create them artificially. So what's the point in going and getting a real strawberry if you can create that flavor and that smell? And so we really kind of found ourselves in a nutrition black hole because of that and providing these things to our, our kids and our society as if everything is normal, but it's not normal. We know now that those fake juices were hurting us, hurting our metabolism, uh, introducing a tremendous amount of sugar, very uh, processed sugar that can really cause massive issues, whether it's with our, our brain health, whether it's with our metabolism and our ability to burn fat. Matter of fact, the name Tropical Punch, where does it even come from? It's really like a punch to your pancreas. All right, it's a nice uppercut. And so today though, the game has changed. All right, now we have this updated knowledge and we have the ability to create a juice that's really special and something that's available no matter where you go because it's been low temperature processed to retain all of these vital nutrients and these wonderful, many of them red superfoods and delivering not just 
a similar flavor sensation. You know, back in the day, we had Crystal Light. Don't forget about Crystal Light. But this is something that's actually going to add to your health and not take away. All right, my kids are also huge fans of the Red Juice formula as well. And this is why. One of the hallmark ingredients here in the Red Juice formula is acai. You've heard of acai. It's hot. It's hot right now. 10 times more antioxidants than just about any fruit that you can name. It's an antioxidant powerhouse that also assists your body in producing its own endogenous uh, antioxidants, which are really the most powerful forms of these things. They really help to keep us younger, longer. All right, we've got some cranberries in there. All right, cranberries are great for your digestion and for your bladder. Pomegranate, again, super hot right now. Pomegranate is full of uh, antioxidants as well and found to be beneficial in study after study for your cardiovascular health, as well as strawberry. We've got some blueberry in there too. Raspberry, great source of vitamin C. Vitamin C is great for your immune system for generating, creating new tissues. Vitamin C is great for your skin. And the list goes on and on because we've also got some other super herbs in this formula too. Cordyceps, rhodiola, ginseng. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about red juice from Organifi, all right? You need to get your hands on this red juice. It is amazing. It tastes good and also it is incredible for you. This is kicking the whole concept of these barrel juices and juice boxes that I used to get messed up on when I was a kid right down the stairs, all right? This is the real deal, all right? Again, low temperature process to actually retain the nutrients so you're actually getting what is promoted to be in the red juice itself. And so pop over, check them out. It's Organifi.com forward slash model. You get 20% off of the red juice right now. All right, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model for 20% off the red juice formula, the green juice, gold, everything that they carry, all right? But I highly, highly recommend getting your hands on the red juice. I like to have it in the afternoon, a little pick-me-up to give a little bit of a jolt and supporting your energy, but coming from earth-grown nutrients, real food, all right? So again, pop over, check them out, Organifi.com forward slash model for 20% off. And now back to the show. All right, we're back and we're talking with the number one New York Times bestselling author, Grain Brain. He's got the revised edition is now available, Dr. David Perlmutter. Before the break, I mentioned this big boom in artificial sweeteners, but also these, quote, natural sweeteners. And for me, just on a logical level, just like the logical thought of, you know what, I can continue to create all these uh, different cells throughout my body, throughout my lifetime, but my brain is exempt from that. Like just even thinking about it logically just didn't make sense. And now he knows from medical school decades ago to today, hey, you know what? We just didn't know. And we can continue to produce cells. And he specifically talked about the hippocampus, this memory center of the brain. For me, even with these artificial and natural sweeteners, I, I just know that they are eliciting some bad things in our bodies, you know, in, in relationship to our brains, in relationship to our gut microbiome. So what's your opinion on this stuff overall? I'd tell you that uh, the artificial sweeteners, the non-caloric artificial sweeteners, uh, aspartame, saccharin, aspartame being the largest uh, in the world, saccharin, though we don't use as much uh, in America, is still used globally, and even cyclamates are, are still used uh, globally. Um, I think that while the use of these continues to increase, we have to look at these artificial sweeteners in terms of the threat that they pose to the human microbiome, and it is vast. It's been proven in multiple studies, so there's no free ride. Um, there's a, uh, 
uh, an old commercial where instead of butter, somebody used margarine and uh, the commercial said, well, it's not nice to fool Mother Nature. And Mother Nature was very upset about that because she thought it was butter uh, and it was actually margarine. So I use that in some of my lectures. The point is that um, these uh, artificial sweeteners are a powerful threat because of these changes in the microbiome. You know, to the extent that one researcher, uh, or, and probably more now, uh, in, uh, in Amsterdam, has actually been doing fecal transplants and diabetics uh, who've been consuming artificial sweeteners and able to reverse uh, much of the, the biomarkers of diabetes by putting normal bacteria back into the gut. So we know that if you take the gut bacteria uh, from people who have been consuming artificial sweeteners and you transplant that into rodents that are normal, their blood sugars will go up. Mm. So it's really kind of a pretty good science that makes us understand this. The other uh, issue for me is uh, I really want people just to get away from thinking that they really want to have sweet all the time. So Dr. Perlmutter, if you're telling me I shouldn't have sugar and I should stay away from the artificial sweeteners, then what should I have? Should, it, should I have the sugar al alcohols like xylitol? Should I have a stevia uh, or halo or what would be the best choice? And I think that, uh, you know, these are better choices. But again, if we can get to a place of not really wanting to cater to our sweet tooth all the time, I think it reduces risk. There's not a huge amount of data out yet that looks at sugar alcohols. Most of what is out indicates it doesn't really pose a significant threat. There has been some research indicating that xylitol in specific uh, does change the bacteria, at least of the mouth, uh, that was done in, in xylitol sweetened gum. Uh, I think that stevia is a pretty safe uh, non-sugar based sweetener. Uh, so I think, you know, people have to have uh, uh, something sweet. Matter uh, of fact, many of the, some of the recipes that we have put out that call for a sweetener, we use stevia, but by and large, it's really getting away from that. And it's getting I will mention one other change uh, in the book is really beginning to understand that grain brain was never uh, the next iteration of the Atkins diet, you know, mm -hmm. eating meat and cheese and, and dairy day in and day out and eggs and that's it. No, it's really pretty much again focused on a plant-based diet. If you choose to have some meat uh, as a protein, then it should be grass-fed beef or wild seafood. Uh, or free-range chicken, if that's your choice. Again, free-range eggs, etc. But you know, mostly we want to emphasize good fat and good sources of dietary fiber, which is so uh, reduced in the the American pop, uh, population, uh, certainly in terms of their dietary choices. Yeah, when I think about the Atkins diet, I always think about my friend uh, back in the day when I was. Um, uh, in college, his name was Floyd. Shout out to Floyd if he's happened to be listening. But I went to his house. I'd always go over to his house to play Madden. And I came over one day. And, you know, he's one of those guys. He just was a bigger guy through his childhood, you know. And he's always trying to do different stuff to, to lose weight. And he had these two crappy burger patties. Like the frozen burger patties that come in the, you know, the bulk box. That you know is yeah, from yeah. like an angry cow. Like the cow definitely has like the equivalent of depression and diabetes itself. And so he's got a couple of those and then some Kraft cheese slices melted on top and he's that's all he's got on his plate. And I'm just like, what 
what are you doing? He's like, it's Atkins, man. And he did lose weight, but his biomarkers, you know, his blood pressure ended up going up after a certain amount of time. And, you know, eventually, of course, he fell off the diet. But um, yeah, this is a much more intelligent approach where we're looking at, guess what? We're forgetting about this huge category called vegetables that we can uh, introduce here into the equation and all the benefits that come along with that. And, you know, the indigestible fiber that help feed our microbiome and all that good stuff as well. Let me, again, uh, for the third time, indicate that you said something here I don't want your viewers to miss. And you said it uh, in passing that these are beef patties that came from angry and depressed cows. And why would they be angry and depressed? Because they're inflamed, because they're eating a grain, they're eating corn and soy and whatever else they're eating, and they're getting antibiotics, damaging their microbiome. So why would we be surprised that this is not good a good source. There's no alchemy that happens. You know, you don't spin garbage into gold because you cycle it through a cow. But yet, um, you know, I, and I think that the, the damaging effects of that type of meat explains uh, the, the research that shows that people who eat that, who eat, generally eat meat, have higher risk for things like colorectal cancer. I believe that. I think the China study makes some very, very good points. But that doesn't look at grass-fed beef used as a condiment, not as the, the focal point of the meal. So, uh, but you know, again, to get back to the notion of eating more plant-based and being very selective about your foods and cutting your carbs, except for the fiber, which is what we recommend for the brain, it's the right diet for weight loss. I mean, over the past five years, we've allowed people to post on our site, uh, drperlmutter.com, and, and the weight loss stories have been, and photographs, have really been breathtaking. When you simply change a diet, getting back to what your body really is, genetically, what the human body has eaten for tens of thousands of years prior to agriculture, uh, it, really remarkable changes happen. People regain health. Uh, you know, the genes begin to express themselves appropriately and we reconnect. We reconnect uh, to the powerfully good messages coming from our DNA, which we distance ourselves from when we send the wrong signals to our DNA by eating these not not appropriate foods. Yeah. You know, I want to, if we can, kind of circle back because something came to mind when we were talking a little bit about depression earlier and even mentioning the depressed animals. You know, there's this statement that I've been saying for probably a decade now that it's not just you are what you eat, it's what you, it's you are what you eat ate as well. So having that as a moniker. But I want to talk about mood in relationship to how gluten can potentially be affecting our mood. These gluteomorphines and I think they're called uh, exo exophins, is that correct? Exorphins. Exorphins. Exorphins and a potential high. Like, they, listen, and you know this, like, you know, in my clinical practice, people would say, Sean, I'm ready to do anything, but just don't take my bread away. Don't take away my croissant. Why, how could you take bread away? I mean, you know, give us this day our daily bread. That, that's been part of human entire history of humanity, right? No. When was give us this day our daily bread written? I, I don't know when the Bible was written, but somewhere around 2000 years ago. Well, that is less than one tenth of 1% of the time that we've been on the planet. So uh, to leverage that, uh, I, I'm not being uh, disparaging here, but I'm simply saying that for most of our time, for more than 99% of our time on this planet, we didn't eat bread, we didn't eat grain, we didn't have agriculture. And it's interesting to note that the human brain 
from when we were first defined as being humans about 2 million years ago until about 14,000 years ago. When you look at the fossil record, the size of the human brain increased threefold. Then, beginning around 14,000 years ago until the present time, the size of the human brain has actually shrunken by about 10%. What happened 14,000 years ago? Suddenly, the diet shifted from animals and from uh, 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 vegetable sources of fiber and, and to a lesser extent calories to one that's based on carbohydrate derived from grain. That's what the agricultural revolution was all about. And people are always uh, you know, extolling its virtues, saying, oh, it allowed us to travel, to explore new lands, to build you know, the Sistine Chapel, whatever. Everything's related to the fact that now we've got food. Well, the reality is it is a sudden and incredibly genet uh, dramatic shift in the signaling that we are sending to our DNA. And since that time, the brain has shrunken, our dentition, our teeth, have, uh, have become much less healthy. Human bone structure has declined. And overall, our, our health has declined. People say, well, we live longer now. Well, when you uh, factor in um, birth-related death, uh, you know, children being, uh, dying in childhood, mothers dying in childhood, and trauma, that's true. The overall average was lower back then. But to be sure, there were plenty of people living into their 90s and 100s uh, in our Paleolithic uh, ancestry, number one. And number two, a very important point, as we just learned uh, a month ago, that for the second time in the history of the United States of America, our lifespan has declined, annual life uh, de determined for the year. So that's scary business. So this notion that we're making these great strides in um, pharmaceutical and medical interventions is gonna make us live longer and longer, it's not happening. And it's, it, it cannot happen when we uh, change the playing field as we have with respect to our lifestyle choices related to food and sleep and exercise. Yeah, and it's not just that, it's a quality of life as well because we're not necessarily living longer, we're dying longer in a sense, you know, and the quality of life isn't there. That's right. Uh, it's not just lifespan that we have to look at, it's health span. You know, are we able uh, if we get to live to be 80 or 90, are we able to participate in life and, and do all the things that we still want to do and, and not think you want to cash out your chips when you're early uh, in your 60s because you, you know you're not going to make it or at least not going to be able to get around. So uh, it, it takes a little bit of understanding and it takes some planning and understanding that the future will come. That is a function of the prefrontal cortex of the brain, a higher brain center a gift that we have as human beings, that we can use this part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, and not operate from the more primitive amygdala brain that says, I'm gonna eat this because it's sweet, I like sweet, uh, I'm gonna respond to uh, everything immediately, impulsively with anger, I'm gonna get back at other people who may have said something about me. What That's the amygdala speaking, that makes the world a fearful place and we want to cater to ourselves narcissistically immediate gratification in terms of our sweet tooth, in terms of buying whatever we want to buy uh, and buying for buying's sake off of Amazon uh, and really mm. focusing only on ourselves in terms of our selfies and Instagram posts as opposed to really gaining uh, interaction with the prefrontal cortex. 
that allows us to be more empathetic towards other people, more compassionate, and really plan for the future and understand what will the consequences be of today's actions in terms of tomorrow's world. And that has huge implications for me relating to you, for you relating to others, for me relating to my neighbors, for our country relating to other countries, and for us relating to the health of our planet. So that's the kind of thing that we're being drawn from uh, by uh, social media, by uh, all this, uh, the, the targeted ads that appear remarkably on our Facebook feed that really take us away from wanting to really connect to other people. Social media is anything but social. It is a way of, of isolating ourselves from being connected to other people. And so uh, my son, Austin Perlmutter, also MD, and I have just submitted a manuscript for a new book that'll come out in January of 2020 called Brainwash. And it calls this stuff out, that this is happening day in and day out. We're being bombarded by these influences that don't have us in their interest, but have selling products in their interest to keep us away uh, from connecting to others and really making us think that we should connect with their products or their website or whatever it is. And that really works against us in terms of amplifying our connection to the prefrontal cortex. Let me tell you one other thing that's really interesting that we discovered. And that is that the pathway that connects us to the prefrontal cortex, this empathy center of the brain, is called the anterior cingulate. That's not gonna be on the quiz, but the point is that our ability to access our empathy center, our connectedness center, is inhibited by inflammation. Mm. So that relates, as you said before, presciently. That relates our diet to things like isolationism and feelings of depression and loneliness. Diet plays a huge role. A diet that reduces inflammation allows us to access that gift that we have, that part of our brain that lets us see the world through the viewpoint of another person. And, you know, not to make a political statement, uh, but I will. So yes, to make a political statement. That's what we're missing in, in Washington is is dialogue, is is reaching across and trying to understand what is that other person saying and why why might they be right? Even though it goes against everything I believe, take a step back, amplify your access to this part of your brain and don't respond impulsively. That person is totally wrong, out of hand, end of story. No, let's talk about it. Let me, let me understand where you're coming from on making that statement, on, that, on taking that position. And you may have uh, some good points. It's not that Democrats are wrong or Republicans are wrong uh, or independents are wrong all the time or even part of the time. It's that everybody, their people are basically good and they're defending their positions because they believe that's the good position to defend for whatever reason. It's time that we communicate and, uh, you know, well beyond Washington. Yeah, so true. And now we've got data showing that our diets affect our ability to pers perspective take. I've talked about literally you got studies now showing that even couples, you know, that are sleep deprived have far less ability to uh, perspective take the next day. You know, and you see greater incidences of arguing over silly things all because of our lifestyle. And so, yeah, that's, I can't wait for that to come out, but I want to circle back. Let me, let me tell you one other segue from what you just said. And also research indicating that one uh, night of poor sleep 
translates the next day to higher risk of consuming higher sugar, higher carbohydrate food. Right. Which does what? Increases inflammation. And that compromises your ability to get a good night's sleep. Right. That becomes a vicious cycle. The name of the book is Brainwash. Yep. And people can't Google it. There's nothing there yet. But it will be. And we'll definitely have you back on. Stanford University researchers found that just, again, one night of sleep deprivation, leptin. It takes a, it's plummets. And this is that satiety hormone to keep you from making those decisions. It's very difficult to, um, to stay away from the donuts when you're sleep deprived. I know that for myself personally, if there's ever a night I'm short on sleep, I'm waking up hungry. Uh, the next day, I'm going to have a greater uh, propensity to want, you know what, guys, you know what sounds good? Pancakes sounds really good today. You know, it's just, and it's there. But of course, with the work you put in and, and the research and, and creating your own lifestyle, you don't fall victim to that stuff, but a lot of people do. And so I want to talk about the, the mood aspect because we didn't get to that when I asked you about the exorphins. But, but when you say pancakes, I get an image of the short stack with maple syrup dripping over the edges and dripping. a pat of butter on the top. The only thing good there for you is the pat of butter. But that's my amygdala talking. I, and that is, I'm looking for this dopamine surge. Uh, it, you know, other parts of the reward centers of the brain are talking as well. Uh, and and it, it sounded good. It re- I'm not gonna lie, that sounds great. I can imagine my fork going through every layer of that and then finally eating it. And then there becomes this dissonance with, with me and hopefully this is the kind of thing we wanna develop with other people that you, you, you disengage from that uh, immediate need for satisfaction and say, wait a minute, do I really want this? Now your prefrontal cortex is taking over and starting to rationalize and look at this decision in terms of its implications. Its implications are waking, poor sleep, poor decision-making, increased risk of depression, increased risk of Alzheimer's, coronary artery disease, diabetes. Oh, okay, maybe I won't have that. Maybe I'll skip breakfast and become uh, a little bit more engaged in ketosis for the morning, or I will have something that has more protein and fat and doesn't have that level of carbohydrate. Now let's talk about mood. So mood uh, similarly is highly influenced by factors over which we have control. Much higher risk of things like depression in people who sleep poorly. As mentioned, the diet plays a critical role uh, in terms of amplifying inflammation And really important is the work that relates uh, the microbiome or things going on in the gut uh, to changes in the mood. Wonderful researcher out at UCLA, Dr. Emeryn Mayer, uh, has done a lot of work, actually published a book. I think I have it right here. Uh, Nope, I don't don't have it right here because I recently interviewed him. But that said, um, we have a, a book coming out for Uh, physicians and researchers called The Microbiome in the Brain. We have 12 chapters written by Harvard researchers, UCLA, Oxford, etc. And uh, really looking at this relationship that the gut bacteria to a significant degree are determining how you see the world. Wow. You know, that, that's another one of those things. Had I been told that in medical school, I I would have said, no, this, this guy's drinking the Kool-Aid. Uh, But that said, we know that our gut bacteria play a a central role in determining the set point of inflammation. Inflammation has a role to play in depression. The gut bacteria play a very pivotal role in the manufacturing of the uh, neurochemistry. 
these neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin and norepinephrine, etc. So at multiple levels, we know that diet therefore affects mood. And uh, you know, we need to start looking at the idea that we might be able to leverage that from a therapeutic perspective. We know that uh, ketosis, for example, does some great things in the brain. There's research looking at getting on a ketogenic diet and how that might be helpful uh, for depression. We know that it sure is helpful, for example, in Parkinson's and is now front and center central player in the um, approaches people are using to try to reverse Alzheimer's disease, ketogenic diet. So it, it's a brand new playing field and there are definitely a lot of unanswered questions and I'm grateful for that because we finally get to the point that uh, I'm on your show and we don't have any more to talk about and it's all been said and done, <laughs> then uh, you know that'll never happen, yeah. that's for sure. And um, exactly, there's always more, always more. So, something, so we've talk, talked about so many things today, but also uh, even looking at uh, how our diet overall is affecting our mood. But I want to talk about the good mood, Doc. I want to talk about how that stack of pancakes makes us feel good temporarily, because I think that's something that can get overlooked. It's just like, why do I feel this way? I don't know about you, but it's something really interesting. We could sit there in a carb coma and watch cartoons. You know what I'm saying? So what, what's going on there? How can, how can carbohydrates, specifically, you know, gluten containing foods affect our moods and make us feel this kind of high? It's a very tenacious and powerful and self-rewarding mechanism. And the more you do it, the harder it is to break that mechanism. We, uh, when we satisfy that short-term urge, that desire to eat sweets, to gamble, to shop online mindlessly, for example, many, anything that people talk about in terms of addiction, we get this surge of, the, of, of a chemical called dopamine that ultimately stimulates uh, certain areas of the brain that leads to the production of opiate-like chemicals within the brain. So in a very real sense, we, uh, it, this type of activity is satisfying an opiate addiction. Uh, you mentioned this in passing mom uh, a moment ago, and that is that wheat does the same thing. Wheat, wheat contains chemicals that are addictive, that act in these centers of the brain, stimulate these receptors that are, that are sensitive to things like morphine and other opiates. So uh, in a very real sense, the wheat plant has used this addictive quality to domesticate humans. So wheat was very effective in domesticating us for its own needs. When I say that, recognize that mm. the you know, growing wheat has spread to every corner of the globe where the, there's enough sunshine and rain. So it did a great job using humans to, uh, exploiting humans to get itself uh, spread around the globe. So, so you said wheat domesticated us. That's powerful. Yeah, I mean, we think, well, we domesticated the wheat plant, but what really happened was now there's wheat everywhere. Wheat did a, a heck of a job dominating all the other plants on the planet to become the number one food source on planet Earth. That's how it manipulated us. So uh, when again we satisfy our desire, and again it's not just the carb satisfaction, it can be um, whatever the addiction uh, may be. You know, maybe it is gambling, maybe it is uh, mindlessly shopping, or, or whatever it might be, we get that dopamine rush. And that dopamine rush 
ultimately stimulates parts of the brain that um, there are a couple of the areas we want to look at look up these areas the nucleus accumbens is one and the ventral tegmental area is another these are pathways or centers along the pathway that ultimately stimulates the production of these endogenous morphine chemicals so in a very real sense when we cater to our addictions or to our desires uh, that bring us pleasure we are really catering to a system that's uh, allowing us to stimulate the insides of our our skulls with morphine like chemicals and that's why it's so hard not to do it the more you do it through neuroplasticity the more those pathways become hardened or ingrained what a great word mm. ingrained got the grain part but the more we choose not to do it the easier it becomes to, dis to distance ourselves from that type of activity it isn't easy to move away from that type of activity but it gets easier with time so the plea is give it a shot stop eating those foods stop engaging in those activities and it will get better and you'll develop much better relationship with the part of your brain that allows you to seek happiness over momentary pleasure because what happens with pleasure is it needs to be rekindled and uh, re-satisfied you know that day later on or the next day uh, happiness and the prefrontal cortex when that is stimulated we develop a sense of what is called contentment which is the opposite of pleasure pleasure means you never have enough you need more contentment by its very definition means you're content with what you have and uh, contentment cannot be satisfied uh, with things or things that can be acquired so once we develop this better connection with our prefrontal cortex we become more content and with that comes empathy towards others comes compassion and comes the sense of understanding long-term uh, consequences of what we do today so in a very real sense caving to the short stack mm -hmm. and the maple syrup keeps us away from actual contentment and satisfies our, our, our immediate pleasure I love this I love the direction that this conversation is has gone today and um, I just appreciate you I appreciate your work I appreciate your uh, your integrity your dedication and just having the audacity to put this information out there I know it just takes the courage the heart of a lion to do that and I've got a final question for you I want to know you know, what motivates you? Like you said, you're 64. What motivates you to continue? I just feel like you're just getting started too. What what motivates you to continue? I know you're the, that your work has been very disruptive and it's been something that challenges mainstream medicine. So what motivates you to continue doing this? Exactly that. Uh, what motivates me is that uh, there's so many unanswered questions. And you know, uh, I am in the meaning part of life. I am really fixated on personal development, on, um, you know, gaining a, a, a higher level of understanding of myself uh, to create a more compassionate being within. Uh, the Dalai Lama said that if you want to be happy, practice compassion. If you want others to be happy, practice compassion. So, I, you know, this is attainable and it's attainable to some degree by everybody. And, you know, the mission is really 
to let people know that I'm, I uh, am on this quest, like everyone else, to try to understand what it's all about. I don't have all the answers, but I'm doing the best I can to explore uh, those who have come before, who've written you know, inspirational uh, works that are, are guides, and that that's what being a human is all about. It's to question and to move the ball down the field, even if it's a small increment. Uh, and if that is characterized by being disruptive, then that is a very important badge of honor that I will wear. And because um, the status quo isn't working and we've got to disrupt the status quo to make it better. So that's the motivation. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, Dr. Pearl Mutter, again, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And uh, if you could let everybody know where they can find your book and also where they can get more information, connect with you online. Sure. Well, uh, the revised version of Grain Brain is, is Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, many uh, small book retailers around, um, and so it's easy to find. The uh, following me is uh, would be simple. My website is, doc, oddly enough, drperlmutter.com, D-R, no period, D-R, my last name, perlmutter.com. We have a free newsletter that goes out every week with uh, blogs from me and videos. Uh, I have a YouTube channel, which is called The Empowering Neurologist, and um, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff as well. So there you go. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you again. I appreciate you. My and, pleasure. Uh, Thank you, Sean. I, I do appreciate it. I can't wait for the next book, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. And I love... Dr. Perlmutter, because it's so practical as well. He's got a ton of research, ton of studies in the book, but it's very practical stuff. He doesn't recommend that there's some special supplement that everybody needs to buy, but we need to buy a new pair of sneakers, right? He's, he's, he snuck that in there. First of all, I don't know if you call it sneakers or tennis shoes or kicks or whatever. I don't know where sneakers actually even came from. It's kind of weird. Sneak up on people, I guess. But um, so whether you're getting yourself some you know, some Skechers, some Nikes, whatever, get yourself a pair of shoes. You're going to produce more BDNF, this growth factor for your brain cells, for making new brain cells, specifically the hippocampus. And this is the part of your brain responsible for a lot of roles in memory and learning and all that good stuff. So what what's better than that? And what's more simple? Whatever kind of exercise you're doing, get yourself some new kicks, or maybe you got some, I don't know. But I know just, just popped in my head, um, when I was a kid, <laughs> I had this dream of, you know, because I didn't know, you know, we grew up, we didn't have a lot of money, but we went to Payless, right? I don't know if it's Payless even around. Is they still? Okay. See, man, now look at me now, right? But anyways, Payless, and there were these shoes that they were called, wait, you know, they had the pro wings, but they had like, they were called Athletics, all right? It was the name of the shoes, the Athletics, and they had the strap. Right? So it was no, like no time. I was against tying. Like, I knew I'd tie my shoe, but I was just like, why? You know? And they, there were some athletics. And I just was begging my mom to give me these pro wings, these athletics from uh, Payless, right? Super cheap, anyways. And I got them, right? And today, now I know it just popped in my mind. They look like Jordan 1s. They look like the Retro 1, but they're the Payless version. And we actually had to end up keeping them outside because they end up stinking so bad. All right, you mix that with a little kid getting outside and play, we had to keep Sean's so shoes outside on the patio, okay? I'm not proud of that. My feet do not stink anymore. My feet, I got nice. They're nice.
But just be aware you get what you pay for. Whatever kind of sneakers you got to get, get yourself sneakers, get to work. All right. So get yourself some of that vitamin W. All right. Vitamin W work out. Also, I wanted to really press and get some some information about like, you know, he's talking about making these changes, but I don't want him to glance past the fact that it's it's not easy all the time. Like you're saying to avoid gluten, avoid bread and sandwiches and pancakes and you know that um that the McMuffin, huh? You want us to just do that? Listen, I got out of the game before the McGriddle. I would imagine that that's just like what can you do? Right? And so, but why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult? And he talked about uh, this connection, how they, this can literally uh, influence pathways that affect addiction, basically. I just read an article yesterday or to, uh, this morning, um, but recently about the five most addictive substances in the world. And it's just like, you know, um, cocaine and, and nicotine, alcohol is on the list. I was like, where's sugar? Where's sugar? most addictive substance bar none. All right. We did a masterclass episode. We'll put that in the show notes, the history of sugar. I promise you. All right. You're going to go on a, on a journey. All right. Get your backpack on when you listen to the episode. Even if you're sitting at home on your couch, put a backpack on. All right. We're going to take you through this adventure and you're going to absolutely love the episode and find out how this stuff all came to be. But he mentioned, you know, it becomes easier, but I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that. I want to tell you this. Yes, indeed, it does become easier, but we don't have to sacrifice joy and pleasure with this whole thing. We don't, it's not a rip the bandaid off situation. I'm not the take from you guy. All right. And for me, it's about, it's so much easier and more graceful when you're enjoying yourself and you get the right nutrition, but it's also pleasurable eating experience. It just makes sense. Right. And that's what I want to um, advocate for you today right? To add in more of that good stuff so that you are enjoying the process of being healthy. You're not thinking about the fact that you are depriving yourself or you can't do this, can't do that. Nobody wins with that long-term, right? Humans want to be free. We want to be able to, to live our life freely, to choose and do the things that we want. And you want to get to a place where you automatically are choosing health just because it feels so good and it's so pleasurable, right? Health equals health. Happiness equals health. Joy equals health. Suffering does not equal health. All right. So we need to get out of that mindset and really start to employ and push that button of joy and pleasure and happiness. Ultimately, if we're going to win. All right. So again, I hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. If you did, please share it out with your friends and family, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. You could tag me. I'm at Sean Model. Let me know what you thought about the episode. All right. I appreciate you so much. We've got some powerhouse episodes coming up. So make sure to stay tuned. All right. Take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk to you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.